0: dr jim richards hey i'm jim richards i want to welcome you to message number five in this what i think is an incredible series on the spirit of adoption a study of uh, rewards and inheritance you know um uh today we're going to be talking about a topic that is so very very dear to my heart uh and it's called fallen not forsaken now back in the 70s and early 80s, I, I was just popping out books and I still have about 100 books in the rough that, that all they need to be is organized and published. And I've just kind of waited little by little to, to release them as I, had a, as I felt free in my heart to do so. One well, of the interesting books that I wrote was called Fallen Not Forsaken. And this book was all about the fact that even though you legitimately fail and even though you're facing incredibly difficult circumstances as a result of having a fall in your life either you know spiritual or moral or mental or whatever or an ethical uh, fall in your life that does not even though there's consequences that you find yourself in that does not mean that god has forsaken you now one of the things that happened was as i was peeling through this biblical information and Kind of looking back at my own life and looking back at people that I'd ministered to over the years, I found that most people believed that the negative consequences that they faced as a result of the failures in their life was actually God punishing them. And so God got blamed. And really, most of those people never went back in the ministry Uh, and never put their lives back together. They never overcame their failures. They just lived in shame pretty much uh the the rest of their life now one of the things that i begin to see is the bible plainly reveals that there are a lot of social consequences that have nothing to do with god uh you know when when we do things that hurt people or disappoint people they are, they're they're going to express that to us they're going to treat us differently maybe than maybe than they have been treating us before uh but but that doesn't mean that's the way God sees it, or that's the way God views it. You know when you look at King David, and you see when uh, uh, whenever Absalom uh, tried to overthrow his kingdom, most of the people that sided with King David or sided with Absalom against King David were actually uh, relatives uh, of Bathsheba or people who held his personal failures against him. And I mean, I, he went through incredible hardship because of the sins that he had committed, and uh, uh, most of it was social, not all of it, but most of it was social. Uh, But see, when we go through those things, if we're not deeply intimate with God, we're going to blame God for all these things that are are happening. Uh, And so in this book, uh, Follow Not Forsaken, I, I wanted to start sorting these things out from a biblical perspective and help people First of all, I want people to understand that God never, ever, ever, ever uh, uh, gives up on you. Uh, he never, never uh, decides, all right, you know, I'm gonna get even with you, I'm gonna make you pay for this the rest of your life, all those kinds of things. Now, because of those uh, abuses, and they, and they they really are abuses um, and other uh, doctrinal abuses, then what happens is because people blame god for all of these things that were happening and they came up with these uh, uh these unscriptural concepts of god and the way he deals with people who have problems then uh then there was an overreaction to this and this is what church, this is what the church has done for the better part of 2000 years uh have some extreme doctrine uh and usually most of these extreme doctrines were based on manipulation tactics of church leaders who wanted to find ways to use guilt and shame to control people all of their lives. And so then the church has gone back and forth between if you commit sin, God will kill you, he'll destroy you, he'll mess up the rest of your life. And then it has swung over to the other side where it basically says there there is absolutely no consequences of sin don't worry about it because if god loves you that's just just enough well you don't want to i will never forget watching um an interview with uh, uh whitney Houston. and uh, in this interview of course bless her heart man her little old bony arms i mean you could tell she had been doing drugs like crazy and not eating and so she goes through this interview acts like a complete fool i think it was with diane sawyer and so just as they're getting ready to close the interview you know what is "says, so well, wait 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 i just I, I just want you to know i mean you can say anything you want to say about me but here i know god loves me well you know it wasn't very much longer till they found her dead in a bathtub probably overdose who knows but but the point is yes god did love her but that didn't save her life if she didn't interact with that love that didn't save her life if she didn't trust him and bond to him and begin to follow the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we don't want to get into this, into this mentality. I mean, we know that God is good. We know that God doesn't stop loving us. But we also know if we do not respond to that love and that leadership in um, faith, that it really does us no good in this life. I want to jump into what I think is is really one of the most phenomenal stories or parables that Jesus gave that helps us understand that even when we are facing personal consequences from our behavior, that does not mean God has given up on us. It does not mean that God is the one that is causing those things to happen in our life. So, And Luke 15, verse 11 says, it says, uh, there was a man who had, who had two sons, and the younger said to, the, to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with, uh, with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine, which is just the worst thing that a, that a Jew could do. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swines ate, but nobody would even let him have those. Nobody gave, gave him anything. So the two sons, first of all, they're both sons. This represents two different believers and two different approaches to how they want to deal with their inheritance. Now, the great thing about this parable is it doesn't make one son look better than the other. It shows you the conflicts that the the prodigal lived in as well as the conflicts that the elder son lived in. And it shows you how that is basically how we're relating to the father that determines what we're experiencing uh, in, in those situations. So this is a parable, like so many of Jesus' parables, that this is not about getting saved. This is not about uh, whether you're going to heaven or not. This is about what happens to your inheritance when when you despise it, when when you don't value it, when you don't treat it as precious. You now, I always go back to the fact that Esau sold his birthright for one bowl of soup or of stew. And, uh, and then of course, then he was so angry at his brother and felt like he had been cheated when in fact he, he was the one that actually made the deal. But anyhow, verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, man, I, I love that phrase. You know, we all get spiritual amnesia at different times. We all lose sight of what's real and what's valuable and what's precious, but you know what? We can always come to ourselves. And when we come to ourselves, the question is, do we get defensive? Do we act like a bunch of victims? Do we act like a bunch of cry babies? Or do we accept the responsibility and follow God's prescription for how to recover from these situations? So uh, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me one of your hired servants. Now, this is a picture of a remorseful, repentant, and teachable heart. Now, so many people today feel like, you know, Jesus died for my sins. He did. Uh, So, if all my sins have been paid for, why should I confess my sins, and why should I deal with my sins? Well, because you're not doing anything to try to get Jesus to do something for you, you are uh, using the authority you have over your own life to recover your life and to reconnect to God in a meaningful way so that your heart can get healed, so that your conscience can be cleansed. And so, um, and so this really is the, the kind of the model of repentance and confession uh, and, uh, and humility. It says, so in verse uh, 20, it says so he arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now keep in mind, the father is a type in this parable of God the Father. The sons are types of believers who are handling their inheritance in different ways. And the younger son uh was really handling his inheritance very, very recklessly. Now, as we've learned in this thing. Most of Jesus' teaching is about kingdom living and about how you are handling and managing your inheritance. And His parables are, unless He says it's about get, how to get born again, He's not talking about how to get born again. He says He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's a parable about functioning in this realm of the kingdom of heaven, where, uh, where what we do affects our ability to access God's, God's resources. And if He says it's a parable about the kingdom of God, even though it may be the same parable in, an, in, in another book where it says it's kingdom of heaven, then when it says kingdom of God, now we got to look at from from the perspective of how does the lordship of Jesus fit into this, and so, and so most of the horrible things, wailing, well gnashing of teeth, and all this kind of stuff that happens to people in the parables of Jesus, this is not necessarily discussing whether they whether they're saved, whether they're lost, whether they're going to heaven, whether they're going to hell. It's talking about the reality that they have to face when they realize, like Esau, they traded away the most precious, precious inheritance, uh, and, and and they traded away for nothing. And now they have shame, and now they have remorse, and and uh, now they're having to deal with uh, incredible loss. Now we've already talked to you all through this uh, series, and I hope you're going to get the audio series. Listen. I go into things in the audio series. I don't have time to go in here. I go into things here that don't, that don't go into the audio series. So by using these together, I'm telling you, you get an, you get an incredible dimension uh, of, of truth and reality. So anyhow, so the father, when he saw him, had compassion on him. He didn't have anger. He didn't have, he didn't have wrath. He didn't have all this. He had compassion on him. That's kind of interesting. The father runs out, and and, you know, when we talk about you know that the you know the Lord follows us or runs behind us. You know, back in the early days, I used to always say, you know, anytime you're in trouble, if you stop real quick, you'll just get a kiss on the back of the head because because Jesus is running right behind you, trying to recover you, trying to bring you back, trying to uh, uh, get you reconnected to God and get you healed. So the father goes out and has compassion and he kisses him and hugs him now what's what's really interesting about this is technically he uh, the other members uh, of the family could have justifiably stoned him because of, of the things that he had done and probably the father not only was overwhelmed with compassion to see him but he ran out there because he, he didn't want anybody to hurt him, even though he deserved it. You know, if we lived under the law, which are under the old covenant, which we don't, then every one of us have done things that technically would qualify for us to be put to death by stoning. But fortunately, that's not what the Father wants. The Father wants us healed and whole so that we can be in a relationship with him. So the son says to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, what's interesting about this is remember inheritance are, when the Bibles are talking about inheritance, it always takes you to the place of talking about sons, not children. We were born into the kingdom of God by the spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption tries to bring us where we will learn and become wise and become disciples and step into that place, where we value and properly manage uh, our inheritance. And so the father says to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring uh, and put on his hand. And you know what? I don't know for sure if the typology carries over this far, but you know, the robe could well speak of the robe of righteousness and the ring on his hand could well speak of the fact, like it talks about in the book of Revelation, about we're given a stone with a new name on it. And, uh, and so th- this could be typology of identity factors about the father saying, you know, yes, y- yes, you did all these things. And yes, you brought all this hardship on you. Yes, you have suffered. And yes, you got to deal with this kind of stuff. But you are still my son. I am still your righteousness. And I still have given you an, a new name that in eternity you will, you will come to know and to discover. So in verse 23, it says, he says to his servants, bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive uh, unto me again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now, keep in mind, this is modeling and telling the same story of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one went astray, and he left the ninety-nine because of how valuable and precious that one sheep was to him, and he found that sheep and brought him back. This is, this is that same example just being told from a different perspective. The father is rejoicing over the recovery of the lost lamb, even though, he already, even though he still had the 99. They had always been there. He had always been taking care of them. He had always been protecting them, but he is excited that he found this lost lamb now the older son now keep in mind first of all the younger son really didn't have a legal claim to the inheritance the older son had the legal claim to the inheritance uh i'm not sure why the father separated the inheritance and gave the young son maybe that that's something about jewish history maybe that i don't fully understand yet but i know that legally it is the older son who becomes the heir and steps in in the place of the father and manages all the resources of his father's household. And so the older son, he had been out in the field working instead of out corrals and drinking, chasing women. And as he came in, he drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What do these things mean? And one of the servants said, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, the elder brother begins to expose what are going to be some belief and some heart issues uh, uh, that he probably never would have realized that that he had. Because really, he steps into an aspect of self-righteousness, which really (laughs) exceeds his compassion and his concern for his brother. The self-righteous older brother actually uh, had never accessed the things that were freely given to him. Now, you got to understand, so many good people, so many godly people, uh, uh, they never have that sense of being able to access the resources of the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are not the same thing. There are no synonyms in the Bible. The kingdom of God is that realm where uh, Jesus rules under the authority of God as a Lord and Savior, and because we are going to enter into that realm called salvation with him, then we should be responding to him as the Lord, and, and we should understand all the things that he taught in his parables about the kind of attitudes we should have, how we should treat people uh, if, if we're going to live in that realm. And then the kingdom of heaven is about all of the resources of heaven that are available to us as heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. Well, most people don't really access many of the rewards or many of any part of the inheritance that God has that God has made available to us because we have been twisted down by religion until we're trying to find the right magic formula, the right magic prayer to say so that we know how to access these things, but we make it religious, we make it legalistic, we make it uh, convoluted. So this brother, this elder brother, remember, he had control of his inheritance. He was there working the ranch or working the farm with the father. He could have actually had a feast anytime he wanted to, but see, that's where so many of us go astray, is we're thinking that we are waiting on God to throw the party when, in fact, that is our choice. Like I say, we are heirs. We are joint heirs. Jesus shares everything in his inheritance with us, and uh, so many of those things we never access. We never participate in because we're waiting on something religious that we don't even know what we're waiting on. So, verse 28 says, he was angry and he wouldn't even go in. He stayed outside and pouted. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So, he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. Verse 31 is so insightful. He says, It says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Now, that's where you start realizing, do you ever find yourself seeing somebody experience incredible miracles and and God doing great things in in their life, and you kind of despise it because you're saying, well, why isn't God doing that for me? You know, the first crusade I ever had was in 1974, and it was in Jacksonville, Alabama, and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not saying I did a great job, but I'm saying I had a crusade there. And so I was going around to the television stations in the area and they were interviewing me about the crusade. So a friend there that I stayed with and he would drive me around to these interviews. And so he would go with me. And so we were sitting uh, out in the waiting area in a television uh, studio and I was getting ready to go in and share what I was gonna share. And uh, I, I noticed he was kind of sitting there staring off in a way that I could tell he was uncomfortable about something. And he turned to me and he said, this should be me. It shouldn't be you. And so basically what he was saying was, I am the one that deserves to get to be doing these things. I am the one that they should be talking to on television. I'm the one that they should be interviewing. And, you know, I just told him, I said, you know what, it really should be you. I hadn't been saved all that long. I don't, you know, I don't know much about what I'm doing, uh, but all I know is, is, is I'm doing it. And see, the problem is so many people miss out on the exciting life that God has for them, miss out on the exciting provision that God has for them, because they are waiting for God to say, okay, I'm going I'm to throw you a party today. Instead of like the Father says here, he says, look, you know, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. That means you could access it at any time. Every promise of God, God ever made to anybody in the entire Bible, Second uh, Corinthians 1.20 says that all of those promises are yes and amen for us because we're in Jesus. That's the qualification we have for a, for a great life. Now, we may never access it because of ignorance, because of lack of faith, because of fear, because of self-righteousness. But basically, we will go through most of our life, and we will never experience many of the rewards that come into our life, or many much of our inheritance that comes into our life. And so, so the result is, the the consequence is no different for the elder son than it is the younger son. The younger son went out, ran wild in sin. The elder son just lived there in unbelief. But at the end of the day, you realize. You realize that the elder son never got to experience his inheritance, while the younger son squandered his inheritance. So, you know, we learn we learn from the elder brother. Don't be self righteous. We need we need to learn that we need to be compassionate with those who are struggling with sin. Um, you know, uh, uh, when when the uh, younger son came back, the father didn't owe him anything, uh, even though he had squandered his inheritance. In sin and immorality, uh, actually, uh, you, you remember the guy that had one talent and and you know started criticizing his master. Well, the younger son wasn't like that. He wasn't blaming his father. He didn't he didn't go back and create some excuses. He just said, "Look, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. You know, I have not squandered my inheritance. I don't deserve it. But will you let me come back and just at least be a, at least be a servant?" In other words, he came back repentant. He came back. Humble. He came back willing to just walk out whatever God wanted him to walk out. So, the thing you got to understand is this you can come back to the place where your life is easy and light anytime you want to. Because even though you may have fallen, even though you may have squandered your inheritance and sin and debauchery and and all these horrible things, your father's still going to meet you with a hug and a kiss and a and a new robe of righteousness and a ring and, and sandals for your feet. I mean, he, he, he is going to recover you. You may lose your inheritance. I don't, can the inheritance be recovered? I don't know. I mean, I, I absolutely don't know. We just have dozens, if not hundreds of examples and stories in the Bible about people who lost their inheritance. But you know something, as far as we know, those people went to heaven. As far as we know, those people did not lose uh, their a, a connection with the kindness of God. They did not become unborn. Now I'm not talking about doctrine of once saved, always saved, or any of that kind of stuff. I am just saying these are what these stories, these parables, and these examples unfold to us. So I, I just want to encourage you, you know, turn your heart to God, humble yourself, uh, repent if you will, whatever you got to do. But I'm telling you, if you don't do those things, you will fall again. And you will wander in the wilderness like the children of Israel, and you'll never find yourself recovered. Listen, you might want to go back and listen to this or share this with some people you love. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.